Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chan's house on Thursday the 4th of July. I'm Jenny Tansy and with me reading the news are... Brian Edwards, Hannah Green, Kate Hudman. Nigel Green is our engineer, Carol Hartle is working on the administration and this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Ten years on, we still miss Tony. Parents stole for their kids. Search for River Fall Teen. River Search Body Found. Tributes to Bubbly Caitlin. Council Probes YMCA Claims. And now I'll pass you on to Brian for the first headline. From Friday the 28th of June... Ten years on, we still miss Tony. The parents of a teenager who drowned in the Severn have said they miss him like it only happened yesterday. This is ahead of the 10th anniversary of his tragic death. Ellie and Duncan Ballard have thanked people for their love as they prepare to mark a decade since their son Tony got into difficulties while swimming in the city's river. Tony was only 17 when he disappeared under the water after he and his three friends raced to swim across the river on a hot summer's afternoon in June the 29th, 2009. His body was pulled from the river, but despite desperate attempts to resuscitate him, the St Peter's student was pronounced dead at Worcestershire's Royal Hospital. Tony's friends will meet tomorrow, to march to the riverside spot, known as the beach, to remember Tony as they have done every year since 2009. And they want to warn others on the dangers of swimming in the river as the temperature looks set to soar for the weekend. His parents said, We want to acknowledge the love and gratitude we feel for you and all his friends who keep Tony alive in your hearts and have kept us going over the last ten years. We'll never be able to thank you all enough. Needless to say, we miss Tony as if it only happened yesterday. The friends traditionally meet at Fort Royal Park where they used to hang out with Tony as it was one of his favourite places and they hold a minute's silence there. Then they march to the spot near the grandstand at Pitchcroft, releasing flowers on the river in his memory. Claire Hemingway, a close friend of the teenager, said they and the family were hoping that the anniversary will again put safety around the river in the spotlight, particularly after 18-year-old Tom Jones drowned last September. The Worcester resident said, With what happened last year that brought it all back for us and made it all fresh in our minds and Tony was such a great friend. Close friends are still struggling with what happened now. In the beginning years at the march, there were so many flowers, it looked truly beautiful. Tony was a wonderful guy with only light in his heart. The weather's getting warmer now. It would be awful to have it happen again. We ask that people be cautious and think of the risks before swimming in the Severn, as the loss of Tony was a complete tragedy. 
Tony's inquest heard that he was a competent swimmer and friends had swum out and tried to keep him afloat when he panicked. At the time, the family called the efforts to save him by friends, emergency services and hospital staff as heroic. Duncan was a vicar at St Mark's in the Cherry Orchard, Worcester area in 2009 and after the tragedy, he thanked the prayers and compassion given by the people and the churches in Worcester. The coroner ruled Tony's death had been accidental in September 2009. The Royal Life Saving Society recently held its Drowning Prevention Week initiative where activities were run for people to learn how to stay say stay safe near water and that initiative was very much backed by tom jones's parents vicky and ian and on saturday june the 29th the headline was parents stole for their kids a mum and dad claimed they took to shoplifting because they couldn't survive on universal credit while having to support two children Cheryl, 39, and Ross Nelms, 43, who are crack cocaine addicts, stole almost £600 worth of meat, alcohol and electrical items between them during a crime spree, spanning three months after they got moved on to controversial new benefits. Having targeted Marks and Spencers and Tesco, both in Worcester, between April and June, the couple's thieving was described as having all the hallmarks of professional shoplifting by District Judge Kevin Grego. But solicitor Mark Turnbull insisted they were in very dire financial straits and the family, including a 16-year-old daughter with mental health problems, were starving after seeing their benefits drastically reduced. He said the family have been using the food bank but are hampered by the fact one person can only receive donations three times over a six-month period, adding the items stolen were to eat or to sell on. Speaking at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday, Mr Turnbull said Ross Nelms worked successfully as a herdsman for years with a family living in Wales and Bedfordshire previously. However, after having two hip replacements, he could no longer continue in his line of work. Fast forward a few years and the family of four, which also includes an adult son, are currently living in a two-bed sheltered flat in Chedsworth Drive, Worcester. Until February this year, the family was supported by Ross Nelms' incapacity benefits and tax credits, while Cheryl Nelms works eight hours a week on a zero-hour contract at Iceland. Mr Turnbull said between February and May, the couple's income reduced to a fraction of what it had been, leaving them in financial difficulties. It has very much been about a family in very dire financial straits, he said. However, he went on to admit his clients both have problems with alcohol and crack cocaine. The court also heard that Ross Nelms, who accepted five counts of theft from shops, is still subject to post-sentencing supervision for another offence until July 18th. Mr. Grego said Ross Nelms has been in court 26 times for over 60 offences since 1995. 
Cheryl Nelms accepted one charge for shop theft at Tesco on June the 4th, where, alongside her husband, she stole meat, earphones and alcohol to the value of £116. The court heard she had been involved in drugs 15 to 20 years ago and had received a suspended sentence previously. She had been caught driving whilst disqualified in 2005, but had been out of trouble for a considerable amount of time, according to Mr. Grego, before being fined for shoplifting in April. He said he would give the defendant one last chance before the court would have no option but to put her liberty at risk. She was given a conditional discharge for 12 months and ordered to pay £120. Ross Nelms was given a 22-week custodial sentence suspended for 12 months along with a 90-day curfew from 7pm to 6am and ordered to pay £150. Mr Grego said, I frankly don't buy that the only way you could survive is the food bank. If you stay away from drugs, your money may start to improve and you will earn a living. He added, the dad was, you have one foot in prison. Uh, on the headline on Monday, July the 1st, 2019, search for River 14. Police were last night continuing to search for a missing 18-year-old who was seen falling into the River 7 in the early hours of Saturday. Officers were called at 12.52am on Saturday, late Friday night, with a report that a young man had been seen falling from the Sabrina Bridge, which links Grandstand Road and Hilton Road, Worcester. The teenager has been named on social media as Alessandro Frumenzi, who is from Leverkusen, Germany, and studies at the heart of Worcestershire College in Worcester. Officers, fire crews using an inflatable boat and the police helicopter carried out a search of the river and the surrounding area in the early hours of Saturday. The helicopter was up again later during daylight, searching the river area for about an hour, starting at around 9.45am. The searches continued yesterday when police confirmed that an 18-year-old from Worcester had been officially recorded as missing. As the Worcester News went to print last night, he was still missing. Yesterday, a police spokesman said, Thank you to everyone who shared our appeal to identify a man in connection with an investigation into a report of someone falling from Sabrina Bridge in Worcester. The search of the river is ongoing and officers are appealing for anyone who witnessed the incident or or who has any other information that could help to get in touch with us. At this time, police are not treating the incident as suspicious. Anyone with information is urged to contact West Mercia Police on 101, quoting Incident 42S of 29th of June. Well-wishers commented on the Worcester News site and Facebook page, hoping that the teenager was located safe and well. One commentator, one commenter, commenter, sorry, attacked people who said target life-saving equipment was being taken. GBXR said people, the scum of the earth, regularly steal the rings and ropes and even a defibrillator from down by the river. That is never going to change.
Whoever is responsible for replacing them is never going to be able to fully ensure they are replaced immediately, either because of funding or logistics or both. The incident came as the family and friends of a teenager who drowned in the river on June the 29th, 2009, prepared to mark the anniversary of his death. Student Tony Ballard, who was just at just 18, 17, when he died attempting to swim across the Severn with his friends. In September last year, student Tom Jones drowned in the River Severn after a night out drinking with friends. An inquest earlier this year recorded an open verdict on his death. The headline for Tuesday, July the 2nd, River Search Body Found. And this is a follow-up, obviously, of, of Monday's headline. A body has been found in the search for a missing 18-year-old man. Police and fire officials recovered the body in the River Severn in Draycott near Kemsey yesterday at 10.40am, but formal identification has not yet been carried out. A search was launched after a young man was spotted going into the river off Sabrina Bridge in the early hours of Saturday. A CCTV image was released and the man was named as Alexandro Frumenzi by Friends. According to Mr. Frumenzi's Facebook program, profile, he's from Leverkusen, but living in Worcester, having begun studying at Heart of Worcestershire College in autumn 2018 term. A spokesman for Heart of Worcester College said, We will continue to offer support to fellow students and staff during this difficult time and would like to express our deepest sympathies to those affected by the incident. From Wednesday, July 3rd, tributes to Bubbly Caitlin, Mum's shock at daughter's fatal seizure. Tributes have been paid to a bubbly and popular teenager who has died following a seizure. Caitlin Sharp, aged 17, died in Worcestershire Royal Hospital after suffering a major seizure. Her friends gave her a special send-off at Sabrina Bridge, Worcester, where Caitlin used to meet them. Her mum, Michelle Doe, said she was just really outgoing and bubbly, always smiling. She had a lot of friends that loved her. She always wanted to help other people. It's just such a shock because it was so sudden and unexpected. Caitlin from Great Malvern and a former pupil of the Chase School had suffered from epilepsy since she was a baby. She underwent surgery at Birmingham Children's Hospital two years ago, which Miss Doe said initially seemed successful, but her seizures eventually crept back, and she then had a major seizure which caused her heart to stop on Monday, June 24th. Paramedics were called and resuscitated her at that time, and Caitlin was admitted to hospital but then Miss Doe received a call to say that she was on life support. It was, she said, staff did everything they could, but Caitlin died last Wednesday. Miss Doe, who wants to raise awareness of epilepsy, said it was Caitlin's wish to donate her organs. She was officially pronounced dead on Wednesday. Her organs were then donated to four separate recipients. Caitlin would have turned 18 on August the 2nd and she also wished for her medical history to go f towards research into epilepsy because she wanted to help others. Miss Doe added, 
She was an auntie, a sister and a cousin. She loved singing. She was singing all the time. She had five brothers and sisters, Rebecca, Courtney, Callum, Declan and Harry, and a stepbrother, Felix. Her dad, Martin, stepmom, Laura, and stepdad, Craig. And Miss Doe said, and thank you to all as well, to this wonderful staff at Worcestershire Royal Hospital who did an amazing job caring for Caitlin. And on Thursday, July the 4th, today's headline was Council Probes YMCA Claims. Two former residents of Worcester's YMCA who were banned from the hostel say conditions there were appalling, but the charity says there are robust procedures to protect people. The whistleblowers, who did not wish to be named, said they wouldn't even put a dog in there, describing prisoner-of-war-like conditions, including issues with staff, drug dealing, mouldy food and a rat infestation. After their complaints, an investigation was carried out by the City and County Council, but a YMCA spokesman said no formal complaints have been made regarding allegations made by the duo, adding, it is clear that a number being reported are unfounded and untrue. Leaked photos show the extent of the dilapidated building and unhygienic conditions vulnerable youths and adults are forced to live in at the facility. One image shows heroin paraphernalia and the whistleblowers claim the Class A drug, as well as others like cocaine and cannabis, are often used and dealt on site. The pair, aged 18 and 19, claimed they were evicted from the Henwick roadside after it became known they were raising concerns with the City and County Council in November. They claim they have been subsequently banned from the YMCA for life, alleging false allegations were made against them. They say one was accused of attacking a staff member but was not allowed to view CCTV footage and the other alleges he was told to pay rent arrears he didn't owe in a matter of hours. One of the former residents, a 19-year-old girl originally from Redditch, told the Worcester News, There needs to be more support for residents in there. They need better staff members. The food needs to be up to scratch. You can't give mouldy food to someone. The building is not safe at all. There are holes all over the building and showers have mould. There's rats in the kitchen. The food is all out of date. She added, the repairs of the building need sorting. The mould, the rats, it's generally unsafe. I wouldn't even put a dog in there. It's that unsafe. During her time at the YMCA, which began in May last year, she was also working full-time as a carer, which meant she had to commute out of the city and often missed the scheduled evening meal. Instead, she was told to get food out of the freezers, though all the frozen stuff is dated four or five months out of date. The other whistleblower, an 18-year-old male who moved into the facility in February last year, said, there's holes where the rats have chewed in the canteen. 
He now has to use an inhaler after ending up in hospital a few times with bad chest infections due to his window not closing properly and says his room was often full of wasps from a nest outside. The two residents said the YMCA takes nearly £300 a week from benefits and 40% of any income if they are working, as well as £75 top-up every fortnight. Washing machines and cookers were mostly broken, they said, and there was one TV and two Apple Macs for all the residents, estimated to total around 750 aged from 16 years upwards. Any residents caught persistently out of bed after nighttime lockdown were forced to sleep on the floor next to the main reception with a yoga mat and a sleeping bag that hasn't been washed, said the female whistleblower. The man claimed his room was searched several times over a two-week period, even though there was no suspicion and staff never found anything in there that I had that I shouldn't have had. He suffers from anxiety and other mental health problems, which means he is unable to undertake full-time work and education. He went on to say that while temporary agency staff were not supposed to be left alone, this often happened. A joint statement from the City Council and County Council said, two young people contacted the City Council's housing team with regard to conditions at the YMCA in November 2018. As a result, the head of the housing team met with the County Council's children's services team that month, as it has contracts in place with YMCA for the provision of some young people's services. The County Council agreed to investigate all the points which were raised. The spokesman went on to say, Worcestershire County Council carried out a full review of the YMCA provision. An agreed action plan was put in place to respond to improvements identified. This is reviewed on a regular basis through visits to the premises and monitoring. The YMCA spokesman said, YMCA Worcestershire has strict and robust procedures that ensure the well-being of all residents and staff. Providing safe and supported accommodation is of paramount importance and at our last review, the City and County Council were satisfied with our facilities and the provision. It is disappointing to see that the hard work and dedication of our staff is being called into question by some disgruntled individuals. And now some other items you might be interested in. The former mayor of Worcester has handed over more than £30,000 to three city charities. Councillor Jabarias handed over his chain of office in May after a busy 12 months of fundraising and promotion of his campaign to encourage Worcester people to love, not hate. Through a packed programme of events, concerts, community fairs and plenty more, Councillor Iaz raised the £30,000 plus, which has been divided between St Richard's Hospice, Worcester Community Trust and Worcester Live. Councillor Iaz said it was an enormous honour to wear the chain of office as Mayor of Worcester. 
It was a role I treated very seriously and I hope respectfully and it is a source of great pride to me that I was able to raise so much vital funding for these much-loved city charities. My theme for the year was Love Not Hate and I chose St Richard's Hospice, Worcester Community Trust and Worcester Live as my charities because they all play a role in bringing our different communities together. I want to thank our great city and all the residents and council officers who supported me in my year as mayor. I couldn't have done it without you. St Richard's Hospice is a local charity which supports patients with life-limiting illnesses and their loved ones. Worcester Community Trust runs six community centres across the city, offering a wide range of activities, particularly for young and older residents. Worcester Live is the main arts provider for the city, running the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall, Henry Sandon Hall and also, also the annual Worcester Festival. A pensioner who was punched in the face during an unprovoked attack says he is disappointed after receiving Marks and Spencer's vouchers as compensation. Royston Tippin from Worcester was assaulted after he responded verbally to a driver who had shouted abuse at him. The 79-year-old claims the driver got out of his car and punched him in the face, which resulted in him getting a black eye. Following an investigation by PC Debbie Threadgold, the man from Worcester received a conditional caution and voluntarily made an offer of financial compensation to Mr. Tipton. Sorry, Timpin. Mr. Tippin subsequently received £200 worth of Marks and Spencer's vouchers within 10 days of the attack. Police have not named the man who received the caution. Mr. Tippin said, I expected money. I'm very disappointed with the outcome. This bloke should be named and shamed. I'm nearly 80. I feel so let down. I don't think it's worth the trouble now. I want all this to be behind, put behind me. His daughter Claire said, I agree with the compensation being made within the 10 days, but with the conviction in my opinion is not good enough. He was given a caution. How is that punishment? I just think it gives other people the green light to break the law. In my dad's eyes, it's done and dusted. The police have made their decision. He can't change it. So he just wants to leave it alone. PC Threadgold said, West Mercia Police is committed to providing a high-quality level of service to everyone within our communities. A thorough investigation took place, a caution issued, and an offer of financial compensation made to the victim within 10 days of the incident taking place. We hope that Mr Tippin is recovering well and that he is happy with the resolution. A murder investigation has been launched after a pensioner was stabbed to death at his home. Desmond Wooding, who was 80 and lived alone, was found dead at his home in Vines Lane, Droitwich, at 8.20am on Monday, June 24th. Police have announced that they were treating the investigation as a murder probe after initially, initially calling the death unexplained. Last Tuesday, the police released a CCTV image of a man seen in the area at the time with an appeal for anyone who recognises him to get in touch. At a media briefing yesterday, Superintendent Damien Petit said, This is an 80-year-old man who has survived eight decades of life in peaceful harmony 
and who has been brutally attacked in his own home where he should feel safe. Superintendent Pettit said Mr Wooding had last been seen alive early on Sunday evening near to his house. Police attended his home on Monday morning after a neighbour called to say they were worried about Mr Wooding after noticing that lights had been left on in his home for some time. Mr Wooding was well known for riding his mobility scooter around Droitwich and Superintendent Pettit said the pensioner had been going about his normal business the day before he was found dead, been out and about in Droitwich. He was quite a large character in terms of personality. A lot of people in our community know Desmond and will recognise him. Mr Wooding's family have been to the scene and have spoken to police and are being supported by officers. Regarding the CCTV image of the man, Superintendent Pettit said his activity has been described as suspicious and for this reason he is of importance. Police have also appealed for anyone in the area between Sunday evening and 9am on Monday who may have any information to come forward. Commenting on the death yesterday, Superintendent Pettit said, Speaking as a Droitwich resident, and I do have a lot of interaction with the community, this is a complete surprise and a complete shock to residents. We really want to hear from people to piece together his last moments. He added, I would like to express our thanks to the community for their help with our inquiries. Anyone with any concerns can speak to a member of my team as we remain in the area carrying out our inquiries. This investigation is being led by our major crime investigation team and I would like to reassure the community that finding out who is responsible for this crime is our utmost priority. Some recycling bin collections in Vines Lane will be delayed as the police continue investigations. And Witchhaven District Council has told residents to leave their bins out and we will collect them as soon as we're able to. Anyone with any information on the crime can call police on 101, quoting incident number 94S of June 24th. See WorcesterNews.co.uk for updates on this investigation and to pay tribute to Mr Wooding. A couple's relationship has reached new heights after a spectacular Glastonbury Festival proposal. Sarah Adams said she was in shock when a plane flew over the pyramid stage on Sunday afternoon towing a banner, saying, Sarah Adams, marry me, Joe. Joe pointed up for me to look, the Lysington resident said. I was a little confused. At first I thought there must be another Sarah Adams getting proposed to. My friend had to tap me on my shoulder to turn round and look. Joe was down on one knee with a ring. I was in shock, taken aback by what was happening. As the plane took four trips above the festival crowds, the 27-year-old, who is a planner at Worcester-based Lion Court Homes, fell to the ground and instantly said yes to boyfriend Joe Blaine. Hugging her new husband-to-be moments later, Kylie Minogue stepped on stage to perform her classic hit, Love at First Sight. 
That worked out perfectly, she said. She was brilliant for the Legend Festival slot. Miss Adams said she was kept in the dark about the whole proposal which Mr Blaine first began planning for two months ago. There was only a 15-minute time slot available at 3.45pm when it had to be done, Miss Adams said. It was a complete secret. We went with friends. Everyone knew, apart from me, it was surreal. Miss Adams said her fiancé, a supermarket manager, was an old-fashioned romantic, but she joked she usually planned everything in their relationship. Mr Blaine chose the Glastonbury venue for his proposal as it's one of Miss Adams' favourite places, making her ninth visit to the world-famous event in Somerset at the weekend. Miss Adams added, We will definitely have a festival-themed wedding now. We haven't got a date, but it'll be in the next couple of years. A splash of green space is coming to the centre of Worcester, so shoppers and visitors can chill out and take part in events throughout the summer. A pop-up park will be installed in Cathedral Square to encourage families to enjoy some rest and relaxation in the sun. The park is the brainchild of the Worcester Business Improvement District, which aims to help the city centre's businesses thrive. The installation started yesterday, with the park due to be fully open today, and and today would be the third, which is is today. There will be several no yesterday sorry. There will be several different events and workshops taking place for visitors to enjoy, including picnics and story time for little ones, and yoga and gin for adults. Phoebe Dawson, chief executive of Worcester BID, said. Worcester BID works hard to ensure that our city is a vibrant place to visit. The pop-up park is a great initiative to bring people together and we're delighted to offer a lively programme of events supported by local businesses that will bring friends and families to Worcester this summer. Events start this Saturday, July the 6th, as the Hive takes over the park. Aspiring wizards and witches can take part in a Harry Potter day from 11am until 3pm. The sorting hat will tell them which house they belong to before they take part in games. The book-themed Worcester Carnival will then travel through the city, giving young magicians the best seats in the house to watch all the action. In August, adults can take part in yoga in the park, provided by Fitness for Less, or enjoy a drink of gin in the park, provided by the Cozy Club, from Thursday until March till Monday, August the 22nd to the 26th. Children can bring their teddies along for a picnic in the pop-up park with the Royal Porcelain Works, and Yo Sushi is running a mini ninja sushi school. Gourmets will be glad to hear that as well as the after Worcester Fest on the first Thursday of the month, Worcester Food Festival returns on Saturday and Sunday, July the 27th and 28th. Entry is free to the pop-up park, which will be in place until Saturday, August the 31st. And this is a little more information on the carnival. The city is gearing up for its annual carnival on Saturday. Costumes are being altered, dance routines honed, as the floats prepare for the extravaganza. There will also be plenty of fun for all the family at the Carnival Village on Pitchcroft. The parade itself will depart from Pitchcroft at 3pm on Saturday, 
following the traditional 1.7-mile route around Croft Road, Dolday, Dean's Way, College Street, City Wars Road, Pump Street, High Street, The Cross, Fourgate Street and Castle Street before returning to the Carnival Village at Pitchcroft with rolling road closures to allow people to enjoy a safe and happy day. The parade is set to finish at Pitchcroft around 5pm. There'll be something for everyone at the Carnival. Sorry, at the Carnival Village on Pitchcroft, with a junior football tournament, a sports demonstration area, fairground rides, an inflatable village, market stores with local charities, crafts, food and drink, and a full day of live entertainment on the main stage. Benefiting from the day will be Worcester Snoozelen, which provides multi-seasonal leisure therapy for people with disabilities and additional needs, and West Mersey Rape and Sexual Abuse Support Centre, which provides free support services to victims, including a telephone helpline, counselling, training and education both to children and schools. A family is campaigning for Staffordshire Bull Terriers to be added to the dangerous dogs list following the death of their cat. Their pet cat Cleo was mauled by two staffies which was video recorded by a doorbell camera and despite the dog's owner attempting to stop them, the dogs killed Cleo on the family's driveway in Ash Avenue, Brickfields. Sharon Bolch says she is angry following the attack and claims that if the dogs were kept on leads or had been muzzled, her cat would still be alive. She added, something good has got to come out of something so bad. Dangerous breed dogs need to be muzzled. People need to be educated and told that their dogs should be kept on leads in public to prevent these attacks from happening. Government needs to do more for this sort of thing. We want to push for a law to be made, making sure all dangerous dogs are kept muzzled in public places. If this law happens, then the wrong type of people owning these types of dogs will think twice about letting them off their leads. I've always said prevention will be better than cure. The Dangerous Dogs Act 1991 was introduced with the aim of protecting public safety. The legislation includes banning four types of dogs, but however, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier has not been put on the list. The Dangerous Dogs list includes Pit Bull Terrier, the Filo Brasiliaro, the Doggo Argentino and the Japanese Toza. This means it is illegal for anyone to breed, sell, exchange, advertise or allow such a dog in public without a lead and a muzzle. Mrs. Bolt's husband Ian watched the footage back after the attack and said the dogs were off their lead and jumped onto Cleo unprovoked. Mrs. Bolt added, I'm angry now. The heart still hasn't recovered. I feel numb before, complete, I felt numb before, completely bewildered by what has happened. What happened to Cleo just wasn't fair. We're mourning her death, of course. We want our cat back and we won't rest until something is done. The story sparked a massive reaction from Worcester News readers. Ash B said, a dog owner is responsible for their dog. The dog was not on a lead and wasn't muzzled. 
so the dog owner clearly hadn't taken reasonable steps to prevent this from occurring and controlling that dog. A pensioner says hospital parking needs sorting out after a ludicrous ticket machine error meant he overpaid for his parking and had to pay again to be let out. Stan Hubbard, 76, said the mix-up over his parking ticket left him trapped in a stressful situation in the busy car park of the Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Mr Hubbard said he found himself unable to leave the car park despite paying more than required after an appointment. He said, I went to pay for my ticket and it said £3.70. I had no change so put £4 in and thought that would be okay. However, an error meant that instead of accepting Mr Hubbard's cash, the machine took it as credit and did not accept payment. When he went to leave, the barrier would not come up and despite having a knee problem, he was told to turn around and go back into the hospital to resolve it. He said, at this point, there was a queue of traffic behind me, so I thought, where do I put the car? Will I manage to walk that far? And if I leave the car, will I be fined? I drove as far as the outside pay station and pressed the assistance button and was told to go inside the main entrance. I pointed out that I was illegally parked and was reluctant to do so, so they then told me to put the ticket in again and put 50p in. Mr Hubbard said the situation could cause problems for someone in poor health. He said, I can imagine if there was someone with high blood pressure or heart problems, the stress and hassle of the whole thing could set them off. People don't need things like that when they're going to the hospital for appointments. I find this ludicrous and beyond belief. A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust said the pay-as-you-leave parking system meant people should only be charged for the time they were parked. She said tickets are automatically validated at the pay machine to avoid patients or visitors being overcharged. If anyone is concerned that they've been asked to pay more than they should, they can get in touch with our patient advice and liaison service and we will do our best to resolve any issues they have. She said there was a special concessionary parking scheme of £1 per day for parents visiting children in our care, patients with cancer and other long-stay patients and their visitors and added... The Trust has also taken active steps to alleviate parking issues by providing a park and ride facility for staff and visitors. The next stage of the scheme to duel the Southern Link Road in Worcester will start this week. The final part of Worcestershire County Council's scheme to build a new bridge across the Severn next to Carrington Bridge and the new viaduct will start with the construction of the foundations. Before this work is started, temporary sheet piles, big interlocking panels of steel, need to be inserted vertically into the ground near the current supporting walls of the bridge. These sheet piles will keep the earth in place behind them and will ensure the stability of the existing structures whilst the ground in front is excavated in readiness for the new foundations to be laid. 
Councillor Ken Pollock, the Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Economy and Infrastructure, said, It's good to see yet another phase of work starting that will move us closer to completion of the duelling between the M5 and Powick Roundabout. I am once again pleased to see that the team are doing all they can to ensure that disruption is kept to a minimum for those using this very busy route. The piling work is planned to start on Monday, July 1st and is set to last for around three weeks, depending on the weather. Whilst the work takes place, the site boundary fencing that currently runs along the south side of the carriageway will be covered. A temporary speed limit of 30 miles an hour will also be in place, as much of the work will be carried out close to the carriageway. Works are also soon to start in readiness for improvement to the Poet Roundabout and the new foot and cycle bridge over Ham's Way. The car park next to the Poet Roundabout will close on Monday for the remainder of the scheme. Cyclists and pedestrians will be directed to follow the Malvern Road and pedestrians will also have the option of rejoining the old Poet Road. A Worcester man has been banned from football for seven years over incidents at the club managed by his brother. Jason Gormley, sibling of Worcester Raiders boss Carl Gormley, confirmed he had received the suspension and would not be exercising his right to appeal but declined to comment further. The ban relates to incidents that took place at a West Midland Regional League Division one fixture between Raiders and Darleston Town, 1874, at Clanes Lane on February 23rd. Darleston filed complaints with the Football Association FA over numerous incidents of alleged violence, racist and abusive comments, shortly after with counterclaims submitted by Raiders. Chairman Kevin Jenkins confirmed Jason Gormley had been informally involved with the backroom staff at Raiders, but at the start of last season he asked him not to carry on. He had attended matches as a supporter, including the home match with Darleston, and was part of the club's end-of-season photo call to commemorate winning the title, posing with Carl and assisting manager Chris Corns in a Raiders T-shirt with his initials on. Mr Jameskins explained... He came along, was part of the photographs and was then asked to leave. I believe that was his old T-shirt. The club had been fined £515 over the incidents. Defender George Corbett has been issued with a three-match ban that Jenkins says he will appeal. On the Worcestershire FA's suspension portal, there is a ten-match ban for a Darren Campbell listed under Worcester Raiders. Like Jason Gormley's, Sorry, like Jason Gormley's, the name was known to Mr. Jenkins, but he said neither had any direct association with the club at the time of the incidents. Individuals who were registered with the FA and identified in allegations without being associated to the club in question get written to separately, meaning raiders would not be privy to their sanctions. Darleston chairman Neil Chambers said two charges against his club over the same incidents had been found not proven. There were two counter-allegations made against us. One was failure to control our players, and the other was against a a specific player who I won't name, said Mr Chambers. We attended a hearing. Both were found not proven, so there was no penalty against us. 
a representative of Worcestershire FA declined to comment on the case, citing that the period for appeals had not had yet to expire. The Football Association has yet respond. A bursary will be set up by the Worcestershire Nomads Cricket Club in memory of a much-loved member who died earlier this year. A pillar of the game in the county, Terry Burt spent 60 years playing, coaching and organising cricket for generations of youngsters. Due to his hard work for Nomads, its Colts section grew to 11 teams and won many county and national trophies. Following his death last February, the club started a collection, initially to pay for a memorial bench at the club, but it proved so successful, members have decided to found the bursary as well. The club's already started the process of setting up the bursary, which will fund one of the many cricket education courses available in Worcestershire or via the English Cricket Board. Chris Dale of Nomad said... Terry was always able to spot someone in need of extra help and went out of his way to do so. We can see no more fitting a tribute to the man than to award an annual bursary of cricket education to someone who needs it most, possibly a person that may not ordinarily seek to do so due to special or unforeseen circumstances. The Burt Foundation will be set up to keep Terry's memory alive. It will be an annual award and working closely with our cricketing partners will be awarded to someone in Worcestershire that is nominated and meets the criteria laid down by the trustees. The club will be holding a special event on Sunday, July 21st. Starting at 11am, the day will include a six-a-side tournament as its main event. Mr Dale added the day will be full of fun and entertainment and will include the official unveiling of the bench in Terry's memory. We'll be inviting as many of Terry's friends and ex-cricketing colleagues as we can and we'll also announce further details, if possible, of this bursary that's going to be set up in Terry's name. The club invites ex-players, members and junior parents to attend with their families to support the day. And now we have a, a selection of sports, football to start with. Worcester City will be back in the Worcestershire FA Senior Cup next season after a merger of the county's two flagship competitions. Worcestershire FA has confirmed the senior urn, ran since 1973-74, to 74, will be retired as part of changes that came about from consultations with clubs. The Senior Cup will now will now draw competitors from as far down as non-league football's sixth tier and return to be a standard knockout contest played during the regular season. It means the likes of City, Malvern Town and Pershaw Town will have the chance to tackle higher-ranked clubs such as Kidderminster Harriers, Bromsgrove Sporting, Alf Church and Redditch United. The Cup had previously been reserved for clubs playing at the fourth level of non-league football and above. With a limited number of eligible clubs and dipping interest during the cut and thrust of the regular season, it became a pre-season competition in 2015. 
In recent times, the Earn has given clubs at steps five and six of the National League system a senior county honour to play for and continued to be a regular season competition. Explaining the shake-up, Worcestershire FA CEO Nicola Trigg said, We made the decision after consultation with the clubs. They wanted something that ran through the season and with us having a shuffling of teams with various changes, it made more sense to have one competition. Originally, the clubs wanted the Senior Cup to be played in pre-season, but when that happened, it threw up complications. Clubs have to book pre-season friendly so far in advance and it became increasingly difficult to arrange at that time of year. It seemed sensible to return to the regular season and the feedback was overwhelmingly positive, particularly from the senior clubs, which was very welcome. Trigg confirmed the urn would be retired and kept by the county association and that it could make a return in the future. Worcester City became the last winners for now with a penalty shootout victory over Studley after a 2-2 draw at Evesham United in April. It will be retired, but we re-evaluate all of our cups every season, so only time will tell, added Trigg. City began pre-season at West Midlands League side Bewdley Town on Saturday at 3pm and then go to Pershaw Town on Saturday, July 13th at 3pm. A visit to Stratford Town awaits on Tuesday, July 16th at 7.45pm, followed by a home friendly with Rushall Olympic on Saturday, July the 20th at 3pm, and City head to Cradley Town on Tuesday, July 23rd at 7.45pm. Then they'll tackle Landlord's Bromsgrove Sporting on Saturday, July 27th at 3 the pre-season games end at Redditch United on Tuesday, July the 30th at 7.45, ahead of the Total Motion Midland Football League Premier Division programme. There's now some cricket. Brett Oliveira continued his stunning individual show in a spectacular return to form, but his efforts may not save Worcestershire with de- from defeat at Glamorgan. The Specsavers County Championship Division 2 leaders were already 79 runs ahead in the first innings after dismissing Worcestershire for 370 in reply to 449. Glamorgan then secured an overnight lead of 216 with nine wickets remaining going into the final day at Sophia Gardens, Cardiff by scoring 137 for one. Worcester-born D'Oliveira, who had previously struggled with the bat, his bat this season, did his best with 103 off 158 balls, adding to a career best of 7 for 92 in the host's first innings. County captain Joe Leach said, Brett's innings was probably one of the best I've seen in a Worcestershire shirt. It took us from a position where we just avoided the follow-on and were staring down the barrel of 150 for us, then to start bowling with an 80-run deficit to give us a chance to win the game if we'd bowled a bit better in the last season. On Dolivera's performances with bat and ball, Leach said, both achievements on their own and together are outstanding. But Glamorgan's Manus... Labushin, 
90 not out became the first batsman across all countries counties to reach a thousand first class runs this season. He built a second wicket partnership of more than a hundred with Nick Selman, 40 not out, to take his side a step closer to the win. But the innings had begun poorly when Owen Morgan was caught behind for a duck off leech from just the sixth delivery. Earlier in the day, having resumed their first innings on 191 for five, Charlie Morris and Ed Barnard looked to reduce Worcestershire's deficit from the outset. But they got off to a calamitous, got off to a calamitous start as Morris, seven, attempting a quick single, was run out by Billy Root in the seventh over. Barnard reached his half-century from 93 deliveries, bringing up the milestone with successive boundaries after Glamorgan's Lucas Carey had taken the new ball. But he was then dismissed LBW to Michael Hogan for 56. The visitors obtained a second batting point shortly before Ben Cox, 12, edged Dan Duthwaite to wicketkeeper Tom Cullen. Worcestershire gained a third batting point early in the afternoon session but soon lost Leach for 16 when he was caught behind off Hogan and Glamorgan claimed full bonus points for the match. Donavera reached his half-century from 70 deliveries including five fours. A patient Adam Finch who had got off the mark from his 15th delivery took until his 36th to score again when he drove Hogan through the offside for four. D'Oliveira struck 12 fours in his turn before he was caught and bowled by Hogan from the final delivery before T with a bowler claiming 5 for 62. Plains horse trainer Dr Richard Newland secured victory in the Worcester opener yesterday on his way to a tremendous treble. The 5-4 to four favourite Samson gave Newland a fine start and then Lovato 4-1 to one, struck in the fifth race on an afternoon card of seven at Pitchcroft. Jockey Sam Twiston-Davies partnered both horses and also enjoyed success on Eccius Miller, 5-4, to four, for his trainer father Nigel to make it a hat-trick. Newland completed his own treble in the final race of the day thanks to Brave Helius, 4-1. to one. Worcester's next meeting is on Monday with the Senior Citizens Race Day. Cricket hit the streets of Worcester as the annual Worcestershire Street Sixes competition took place. This competition is run by Worcestershire Cricket and saw 18 teams from businesses across the city taking part to raise money for charity in games of street cricket. The games are played by teams of six and took place in enclosures with two points scored for hitting the side and six for hitting the barrier at the other end from the batsman. Crowds turned out to watch the games which were held in Cathedral Square and in front of the Guildhall and each team raised money for the community projects led by Worcestershire County Cricket Club including the Wickets programme to bring cricket to deprived areas and the women's softball cricket designed to increase participation in the game. The cup final was contested by the Worcester News team and the team from Blackpool-based logistics firm Amco. And Amco was the worthy winners in the final, chasing down the Worcester News total with ease. The Worcester News skipper, Dale Godleyman, said, I'm so proud of well our, how well our team did, especially given that we were largely represented by non-cricketers, and it was our first stab at street cricket. 
The day was such good fun. The sun gods were shining down on us and the organisers did an outstanding job of making everything run like clockwork. We'll be looking for some warm weather and winter training venues to hone our skills ahead of returning next year. The plate final was then won by Sanctuary Group, who beat the Worcester County City Council in the final, and the Spoon final was won by the Worcestershire Ambassadors Lions team. And now back to other news. A museum has been awarded £18,000 for the design and creation of a Tudor-style furnishings. The National Lottery Grant will boost a project at Tudor House Museum in Friar Street in which textile artist Louise Gould is designing and creating a set of Tudor-style bed curtains and counterpane to dress the Tudor bed in the best room at the museum. Tonya Collett, museum manager, said, This is a really exciting project for Tudor House Museum and we're so pleased Arts Council England have agreed to fund it. Their grant will allow us to work with different people around the city to create a lasting and beautiful piece of art that not only reflects Worcester's heritage, but that everyone can enjoy. Volunteers from across the city are being encouraged to get involved with helping create the hundreds of symbols and designs needed to cover the base fabric. No experience will be necessary as, thanks to the generosity of Arts Council England, the materials and training will be provided. Peter Knott, Area Director for Arts Council England, said, We're pleased to support Tudor House Museum through our National Lottery Grants as they give people in Worcestershire and beyond the chance to learn new skills and take part in a project which will be enjoyed by visitors to the museum for many years to come. We are proud to champion the role art and culture plays in bringing history to life and hope the Bedfellows Project inspires more people to explore their local heritage in a creative way. Louise Gould said, I'm delighted to be returning to work at Tudor House and the volunteer embroiderers to continue on the Bedfellows project. Bedfellows is part of a wider development at Tudor House that involves renewing the displays and activities focusing on the best room which includes the last remaining Tudor embossed ceiling in Worcester. Work on the bedspread and curtains will begin in late summer. For more information, contact the manager, Tonya Collett, on 01905 612309 or via manager at tudorhouse.org.uk. Tudor House Museum is an independent museum run by the Worcester Heritage and Amenity Trust and the charity's volunteers. Arts Council England is the national development body for arts and culture across England. A widower has praised a charity which helps isolated elderly people to meet new friends as the service seeks new volunteers in the county. Bill, 88, from Pershaw, became lonely after his wife Edith died two years ago, but has now found himself socialising again with the help of Age UK's Reconnection Service for Worcestershire, after going to its lunch club in May. 
Bill, who was a chef in the RAF, said, I went to the lunch club and there were about 50 people in the same situation as me. Everyone was talking to each other simply because they were lonely. It was lovely and they filled my expectations and it's opened a door in my life. Bill added, the lunch club gave me a start. It was that I was a little apprehensive to make the move, but they're very nice people. I'm ready to go out again now. It's moved me from the sofa. I've been so independent all my life. I wanted someone to knock on the door and say, come and have a cup of tea. The charity needs volunteers to help more people like Bill. Reconnections volunteer Charlie Wisdom, 27 from Kidderminster, said, Volunteering is very rewarding when you see the person start to enjoy life again. It broadens your horizons and I get to hear so many stories. It's helped me grow as a person, but it does make me think that social isolation could happen to any of us. In addition to reconnections, Bill is going to receive a regular weekly phone call from Call in Time, which is a national Age UK telephone befriending service. There are around 35,000 socially isolated people in the country and and so far the project, which has been running for four years, has received 3,000 referrals. At the moment, only those aged over 50 are helped by the scheme, but the charity is looking to support younger people. Volunteering is flexible around work and life commitments and anyone interested can contact the charity on 01905 740954. A new footbridge linking the city to a new super village is finally set to go before council planners after months of delays. Council planners are expected to approve a new foot and cycle bridge across the now dueled Broomhall Way, linking the city with a £500 million 2,204 home super village which forms part of the South Worcester Urban Extension. Plans were supposed to go before Worcester County Council's planning committee in May, but a decision was delayed for more work to be carried out on potential flooding in Power Park. Worcester City Council and Malvern Hills District Council have both objected to the design of the bridge and said it should be of much higher quality. Both authorities have urged the County Council to reconsider the design before approving. The footbridge was originally included in St Modwin's planning application in 2013, but it was decided Worcester County Council should take over building the bridge with the developer covering the cost. The bridge, which would be built between the Norton and Ketch roundabouts of the A4440, would cost around £3.5 million. Malvern District Council supports building the bridge despite objections to its design and said it would make crossing a very busy dual carriageway safer and needs to be built as soon as possible. The original footbridge plan submitted in January led to a number of objections, including the council's flooding expert who was withdrawn in May. To combat flooding, a drainage system would be installed in Power Park, as well as a wetland in the southeast corner. Paths would also be raised. The park has a 1 in 30 year chance of flooding, according to a flooding assessment, which accompanies the planning application. It, backed by the County Council's planning committee next Tuesday, July the 9th, 
work would be expected to start later this year and be finished by summer 2020. A new hotel, shops, a primary school, health surgery and a sports centre are all included in Welbeck Land's Super Village plan. St Modwin also plans to build 225 homes on land between Taylor's Lane and Broom Hallway. There could have been a plethora of gifts on offer for a pensioner on her 90th birthday, but instead the former nurse asked for money to be donated to hospital staff. Diana Cundy reached the milestone on April 7th and saw 60 of her close friends and family attend her birthday party to mark the special occasion. After a career in caring, Mrs Cundy saw this milestone as a way to thank the cardiac staff at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Trust by not asking for gifts but money which she could donate. And the total raised was £320, and Mrs Cundy donated £200 to the Worcestershire Community Heart Failure Team and a further £120 to British Heart Foundation. In July 2017, Mrs Cundy had a pacemaker fitted at Worcestershire Royal. She added, The wonderful nurses there saved my life. Mrs Cundy from Droitwich said, Nursing's in my blood. All my love has always been for nursing and caring. And Sally Baker, advanced clinical nurse specialist, has been involved in Mrs Cundy's care since the pacemaker was fitted. Ms Baker said, we're very touched to receive this generous donation for the service from the celebration of such a prestigious birthday. Diana's a lovely lady. We're delighted she was able to celebrate and mark this wonderful occasion with her loved ones. The Hive is offering people the chance to dive into the history of their own home after being inspired by a BBC Two show. In the latest season of House Through Time, presenter David Olusuga uncovered the hidden history of a Georgian terrace home in Newcastle. The historian and professor was astounded to find the house had been called home by many influential people and the site of significant historical events as well as various scandals. The Butts-located City Library has teamed up with Explore the Past an organisation dedicated to finding and preserving the history of Worcestershire to offer residents the chance to delve into their home's past. You can use the Hive's archives of local history, its expert team and access a guide to discovering the history of your own house. There are also monthly First Steps in House History introduction workshops. One Worcestershire resident found that their cottage was once part of the extensive Croom Park estate owned by the Coventry family. A House Through Time is a fantastic programme, said Paul Hudson, learning and outstretch manager at Explore the Past. And although we can't guarantee you'll find as much as they did as they did or that it'll be as dramatic, there are plenty of people and stories to be uncovered here using similar sources to those David used. Visit explorethepast.co.uk to find out more. 
thousands of music fans descended upon Upton on the Severn for the 34th annual jazz festival, which was blessed with glorious sunshine. Upton's historic riverside was filled with stalls selling everything from Thai street food to colourful clothing as music rang out from the town's pubs and clubs. Jazz fans from as far afield as the US and Australia gathered to hear some of the world's best bands play Dixieland, Hot Club, Gypsy and European Jazz in 10 venues, including the Conway Castle Riverboat. A lively fringe festival featuring musicians from across the country took place in the yard at the Swan Hotel, attracting crowds across the weekend. And the annual gospel-style church service held in the parish church was once again standing room only as crowds stood spilling outside into the churchyard to listen to the music. Rachel Hayward, musical director, said this year's festival was the best yet. We've had the most fantastic weekend, she said. The weather was absolutely brilliant, perfect for chilling out with friends and family and listening to some of the best jazz this side of New Orleans. It's been amazing to see how many new faces were here and bands were playing to packed houses all across the weekend. Musical highlights included sets from Budapest Ragtime Band, Hungary's premier jazz outfit and Dan Cassidy, brother of the late great Eva Cassidy. The Best of Young Jazz programme featured sets from Hanley Castle High School and Kidderminster College, as well as the Chantry High School in Martley and the Worcestershire Youth Jazz Orchestra. Lizzie Kemp from Lysinton near Morven attended with her husband. It's been such a fantastic weekend, she said. The atmosphere has been brilliant and it's been great to sit outside in the sun and listen to great music. Organisers of Worcester's 2019 Victorian Fair are looking for people to perform. The organisers are looking for amateur choirs, bands, dance groups, soloists and ensembles to perform at the popular event which regularly attracts more than 100,000 visitors to Worcester City Centre. Selected groups will be invited to perform for 30 or 60 minutes on one of a number of stages which will be prominently placed in Cathedral Square. Although the four-day event doesn't take place until November the 28th to December the 1st, 2019, the deadline to register interest in performing is Friday, September the 6th. Applications from schools are welcome and performers can collect money for a charity of their choice during or directly after their performance. There is always a fantastic atmosphere at Worcester's Victorian Fair. It's a great opportunity for local groups to show off their talent and perform to a large open-air audience, said City Council Economic Development Officer Helen Mole, who is responsible for the event's organisation. Christmas may seem a long way off, but because of the huge scale of this event, we always plan far in advance. By registering interest by the 6th of September, selected performers will also have plenty of time to prepare and rehearse. The Victorian Fair was first started back in 1992 by traders from picturesque New Street and Friar Street. Now in its 27th year, the event has grown a lot, but has stayed true to its traditional roots with plenty of Victorian-themed characters festive treats and a wonderful atmosphere. 
This year, there will be 200 stores across the city centre selling local arts and crafts, delicious sweet foods and gifts. Further details at www.worcesterchristmasfair.co.uk. For more information about performing at this year's event or to register your interest, call Claire Giles at Worcester City Council on 01905-722-501 or email christmas at worcester.gov.uk. This summer, from a galaxy far, far away and all the way to Worcester, comes an absolute must for fans of Star Wars. One of the UK's finest collections of vintage Star Wars toys and original cinema posters is going on display in a stunning free exhibition at the Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum, opening on Saturday, July 20th and continuing throughout the summer holidays. The force will certainly be with local mums and dads when it comes to dealing with their children's lung break boredom. And toys and childhood memories will be central to this exhibition. However, back when the movie Star Wars broke box office records in 1977, no one could have predicted that the merchandising would go on to earn even more than the film itself. In fact, the toys of Star Wars took the world by storm and became the must-have playthings for an entire generation. From 1977 to 85, an estimated 300 million action figures were sold, allowing children to reenact the adventures of Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia and Han Solo. May the toys be with you is both a celebration of the now highly collectible vintage toy line and also of the iconic design work and art of the Star Wars movies. It's all now, as they say, a matter of cultural history. Collector Matt Fox says, From X-Wing fighters to lightsabers, these fantastical designs have fired our imaginations and stamped their place on our cultural landscape. A museum spokesperson added, For little kids, little kids and big kids alike, this is an unmissable opportunity to view many rarely seen Star Wars treasures. And young Jedi also have the opportunity to dress up and wield a lightsaber themselves. This touring exhibition has broken visitor attendance records at a host of museums around the country, and this will be its first time in the West Midlands. The spokesperson added, Whilst marvelling at the amazing Star Wars collection, visitors can enjoy hands-on activities in the Millennium Falcon cockpit and chill in the Death Star reading and soft play area as well as enjoying a number of special activity days in the school holidays. Even better, some very special guests will be visiting the Art Gallery and Museum for the official opening of this exhibition on Saturday, July 20th. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Alar Ditter, will open the exhibition accompanied by stormtroopers. Visitors are also being encouraged to come along in their own Star Wars costumes. May the Toys Be With You is free and will be open during the run from Mondays to Saturdays, 10.30am to 4.30pm. 
For more information, contact the Art Gallery and Museum on 01905 or visit www.museumsworcestershire.org.uk or follow at Worcester Museum. A number of special related events have also been arranged, including a free museum after hours happening on August 16th from 5.30pm to 8pm, when visitors will be able to take selfies as their favourite Star Wars character. And here are a few dates uh, well into the next few months that might be of interest. Blood donors should book an appointment now if they want to give blood before the end of the year. A number of sessions are being held in St Andrew's Methodist Church in Pump Street throughout September and October. The first session will be held on Tuesday, September 3rd, between 1.15 and 7.15pm, followed by another session on Tuesday, September 17th, also between 1.15 and 7.15pm. Two more sessions will be held on Tuesday, October 15th and Tuesday, October 29th, also between those times 1.15 to 7.15pm. A number of sessions will also be held at Lippard Grange Community Centre in Anchorage Green in Warnden. The first session in Warnden will be held on Sunday, September 15th between 9 and 4 and again on Sunday, September 29th between 9am and 4pm. Donors will also be able to give blood at Christopher Whitehead Language College in Bromwich Road on Thursday, August 22nd between 1pm and 7pm and appointments to donate blood must be made in advance on 0300-123-2323. Watch out for bumper wasp season. Signs of a second bumper wasp season in as many years are being seen across the country and experts suggest the mild winter is to blame. Historically, the severity of wasp activity has alternated annually. However, a number of pest managers have indicated their concerned wasp activity will be high for a second year in a row, says Richard Mosley, Bayer National Account and Technical Manager. A high number of queens have already been seen across the country, which is likely to be due to the unseasonable mild winter and spring. This means populations don't decline in the winter as they have done in previous years. He added it's important to monitor wasp activity closely as the earlier infestations are identified and treated, the easier they will be to control. Chas and Dave once famously said the two piano show was highly recommended, an experience being billed as the ultimate piano rock and roll concert is coming to Worcester's Huntington Hall and toes will certainly be tapping. A spokesman said, join the sensational two pianos on a stunning musical journey back in time to celebrate the finest hits that shaped the rock and roll music scene. Two pianos will deliver an unforgettable night of music from an era which is over six decades old, taking us back to the 50s and 60s. This show is about to rock audiences' socks off at Huntington Hall. We just hope that the ancient wooden floor can withstand the beat. 
Born in Hull, Yorkshire, Al Kinvo and David Barton have both toured and performed worldwide as well as alongside some of the world's most accomplished musicians. As Jerry Lee Lewis once famously said, Two Pianos Rock. This show takes place on Saturday, July the 13th and for tickets call the box office on 01905 611427. And that nearly brings us to the end, but we have a few announcements. Calibre Audio Library um, has sent in um, their list of availability to for listeners to meet the Calibre staff. The Site Village 2019 Central, which is Solihull, on Tuesday the 9th July, sorry, Tuesday the 9th of July at 9.30 to 4, or Wednesday the 10th of July, 9.30 to 3, Cranmore Park, Cranmore Avenue, Shirley, Solihull, B94LE. Calibre remains a subscription-free service and offers a joining package with Memory Stick Player. We will be demonstrating the players and how to use our download and streaming services. Players available to purchase and take home on the day subject to availability. Exhibiting alongside Blind Veterans UK, Dolphin Computer Access and the Mecula Society. For further events details, contact Queen Alexandra College on 0121 And if we can just remind listeners um, that we have an extensive library of talking books. We have fiction, thrillers, romance, to name but a few. Talking books are available in many formats, as in tapes, CDs, or USB sticks. We can provide a list of books in our library. The list can be provided in large print, hard copy, or on tape. Leave a message on 01905 that's the answer phone, or pop a note in with your talking newspapers. Um, one birthday this week is on the 8th of July, which is Michael Day. We wish you many happy returns. If there's anybody else this week who we haven't uh, announced and whose birthday it is, please let us know because we'd love to uh, wish you a happy birthday. Um, the lighting up time is 21.31 to 04.54. Emergency phone number for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6 till 8 p.m. is 0300-123-3211. And the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number 01684 Worcester Live is 611429, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub numbers for council matters is 765-765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers is 0800-555-111. Our phone number is 01905-767766. Our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. Our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. Um, a reminder to listeners that the obituaries for the week can be heard after the final music finishes. 
and we greatly value your feedbacks, likes or dislikes or changes you might like to make. Just let us know either by phone or pop a note into the envelopes. We'd love to hear from you. So all of us, goodbye. The thought for the day is Mark 8, verse 38. Jesus said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And now for the obituaries. Sheila Dorothy Burgoyne Nay Page passed away on June the 20th, age 83. The funeral service is at St. Leonard's Church in Cotheridge on July the 8th at 1 p.m. Ronald Kenneth Hussey passed away at Latimer Court Care Home on June the 18th, age 92. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 10th at 2.30. Anne Lloyd passed away on June the 14th, aged 85. The Requiem Mass on July the 12th is at the Sacred Heart Church at 2 p.m. Beryl Catherine Elizabeth Morris, nay White, passed away at Perry Manor Care Home on June the 20th, age 83. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 5th at 10.45. No black, please, is the request of the family. Veronica Audrey Weston, nay Mary, passed away peacefully at St. Richard's Hospice on June the 14th, age 70. The funeral service is at St. John's Baptist Church in Clanes, on July the 5th at 11.30, followed by internment at, pa- at Astwood Cemetery. Gladys Blackler passed away on June the 7th, age 96. The Thanksgiving service is at Bromyard Road Methodist Church on July the 8th at 2.30. Catherine Bloxage, known as Jean, passed away on June the 21st, aged 76. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium, on July the 8th at 2.30. Peter Trenfield passed away on June the 8th, age 92. The funeral service is at St. Martin's Church, London Road, on July the 5th at 12th noon, followed by a committal at Worcester Crematorium Chapel. Margaret Joan Tummerfield, sorry, Tubberfield, nay Firkins, passed away on June the 17th, age 83. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on July the 9th at 1 p.m. Edna Mary Wellman passed away at St. Stephen's Care Home on June the 21st, aged 102. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on July the 9th at 1.45. Margaret Jenny Bromford, nay Bayliss, passed away at home, aged 96. The funeral service is at St. Leonard's Church in Charlcott, on July the 25th at 2 p.m. David Edwards Co- Edward Collins passed away on June the 18th, aged 88. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on July the 9th at 11.30. Eric Charles Dukes passed away on June the 19th, aged 73. 
The funeral service is at St Peter's Church in Bromyard on July the 10th at 11.30. Maureen Holder, known as Mo, passed away at home on June the 13th, age 75. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 12th at 10.45. John Mason of Barbourne passed away on June the 22nd, age 93. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 19th at 10.45. Kath Mills passed away on June the 26th. The funeral service is at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on July the 15th at 11am. Nolyn Pierce of Crowell passed away on June the 23rd. The funeral is at St John's the Baptist Church in Crowell, on July the 12th at 11.30. Frida Champkin, née Caldicott, passed away on June the 16th, aged 84. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 11th at 3.15. Evelyn Cox, known as Eve, passed away peacefully on June the 11th, aged 88. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 11th at 12.15 followed by a service of thanksgiving at St George's C of E Church at 1.15. Margaret Rose Llewellyn, née Allington, passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on June the 27th. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 18th at 10 a.m. Kenneth David Miller, known as Dave the Pill, formerly of St John's Pharmacy, passed away suddenly in France on June the 20th, age 78. Our thoughts and sympathies go out to all the families.